Hey friends, welcome to RUF. Uh, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet. My name is Sammy, and we are, I'm the campus minister here. Welcome. Uh, we are working our way this semester through the book of Ephesians. And tonight we're looking at Ephesians 2, chapter 11, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And let me read it for us, and I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. Let me read it for us first. Here's what God's word has for us. Paul says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But, but. If you remember Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, but is a big word in the Bible. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let me pray for us, and then I want to jump into what I want to talk about from this passage tonight. Let's pray first. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you that it is like a sharp sword that that cuts through us, that exposes us. And Lord, I pray that as we think about what you have for us in this passage tonight, as we think about how the gospel creates this beautifully diverse community with all kinds of of racial and and class diversity and and, and people coming from all kinds of personalities and backgrounds and families, uh, Lord, that would, you would be the one who stirs us by your gospel, that you would be the one who changes us, who converts us if we don't yet know you, uh, who brings us from death to life, and that you would do by your spirit what you alone can do to encourage us, to convict us, to change us by the good news of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So thinking about this idea, we were talking about this uh, as a staff team, I think on the way up, I think on the way up to fall conference, which was a great time. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to go this year, put it on your, your back pocket for next year. But we were talking about The Office and especially controversial episodes that maybe couldn't air today. And the one that immediately comes to mind is Diversity Day. And if you remember, if you've not seen that episode, uh, I don't know if Michael brings in this person to lead them in diversity training. But it does not go well. It's a train wreck. And it starts with this. It starts with uh, Mr. Brown <laughs> leading, trying to lead this day with Michael Scott and, and, and Dwight and you know the whole gang. And he says, all right, now this is a simple acronym, HERO, uh, diversity today. We believe it is, a very, it is very easy to be a hero. All you need are honesty, empathy, respect, and open-mindedness. And Dwight immediately says, excuse me, I'm sorry, but that's not all it takes to be a hero. 
Mr. Brown says, oh, great. Well, what is a hero to you? And Dwight says, if you remember, a hero kills people, people that wish him harm. Mr. Brown says, okay. And then Dwight says, a hero is part human and part supernatural. A hero is born out of a childhood trauma or out of a disaster that must be avenged. Mr. Brown says, okay, you're thinking of a superhero. And then Dwight says, we, will, we all have a hero in our heart. Uh, and then it just spirals from there. Why is diversity so hard for us in the church or in Christian community? And I think the logic of Ephesians, if you were here last week, Paul lays out the gospel in no uncertain terms, but the good news that we are saved by grace, by what God has done for us in his son Jesus on the cross, through faith, we do nothing but, but uh, put our trust in him, collapse on him, trust in him. But Paul's logic is when we have believed the gospel, when the gospel is really at work in us, it begins to change us And one of the ways you know it's at work is you begin to love people in the name of Jesus who are very different from you, who are not like you, maybe even who are hard for you. And that's part of the fruit of his grace in our lives. What I want to think about tonight, just for a little bit together, we're going to be brief tonight. But what I want to think about is this idea of how does the gospel create, how does Paul in Ephesians 2, 11, 22, what kind of guidance does he have for us? What does he have for us? What, what creates a community that is beautifully diverse, that is beautifully different? And I think there are three things that Paul lays out that begin to change us. It's first, our need for the gospel, being clear on that. It's second, our hope in the gospel, being clear on that. And then lastly, the way I'm going to say it is our being at home with the gospel uh, and to be clear on that. So let's start first with thinking about our need for the gospel And that's what Paul does in the first two, three verses, is he lays out for these Gentile Christians their background. He he wants them to remember what life without Christ was like. Can you remember what life without Christ was like? It's actually really important because what that does, when we can remember what we were like before life in Jesus. Now, I know some of you, your conversion story is, I've never really known a day where I didn't know Jesus. And praise the Lord for that. But for some of us, we didn't grow up in a Christian home. Or we, we had a period of life where we were full in rebellion against the Lord. And Paul's saying, I want you to think about this for a second because I never want you to forget. I never want us to forget. And this is the way I want to say it. That you've never met someone who needs the gospel more than you do. And you've never met someone who needs the gospel less than you do. That we are part of how we begin to, to, to love across difference. Uh, Part how we begin to be a beautiful community is by remembering our need for the gospel, God's grace for us and what he's done in Jesus. This is what I always think about my junior year. I became a Christian my freshman year of college. uh, Sorry, high school. My junior year of college, I can remember joining this fraternity. We were at this party. It was like an overnight party. And there was a young woman there. Her name was, let's just call her Sarah. And it was pretty tragic. Like Sarah would come, she would show up to events and she would just come already trashed. And that's how I always, you never had a conversation with Sarah that wasn't drunken. But at this particular event uh, that was like, we called it MASH, it was like this camping party. I saw something that was super, super sad, which was Sarah would, in her drunken state, and this was more on the guys, obviously, who would take advantage of Sarah, but she would just go off into the woods with guys to do stuff, come back, and then repeat the process with a different guy. It was really, really hard to watch. 
Flash forward, I, I graduate college, Mary Alyssa, we go to seminary. Uh, we're about to leave Charlotte. Uh, we, we've graduated seminary. We're moving to my first job, which is RUF at Georgia Southern. And we're trying to get rid of this couch. And next thing I know, my aunt has put us in touch with this couple who's about to start seminary at Southeastern in, I think it's in Raleigh. And uh, so we, they, you know, we kind of get, they're going to buy the couch from us. And we set up a time for them to meet. And then I go outside to, to meet this couple. And who do I see? Is, is Sarah. And she's like a completely different person. I mean, she's like full of joy. Like we have this great conversation about, like we didn't, like it wasn't clear that we remembered each other. I don't know that she remembered me, but I remembered her. And I'm telling you, like when I, we, you know, moved the couch into the U-Haul and had some more pleasant conversation and then I went back inside and you could have pushed me over with a feather. Because why is it hard for me to believe Why is it hard for us, you, to believe that God really does change people, brings them from death to life? He's brought us from death to life if we've trusted in Jesus. And we've never met anyone who needs the gospel more than us. And we've never met anyone that needs the gospel less than us. This is part of what connects us as we all are desperately in need of God's grace, of the work that he alone can do. I like the way that Martin Luther would say it. He says it like this. He says, God receives none but those who are forsaken, restores health in none but those who are sick, gives sight to none but the blind, and life to none but the dead. He does not give saintliness to any but sinners, nor wisdom to any but fools. In short, he has mercy on none but the wretched, and gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. Therefore, no arrogant saint can be material for God. So first, our need for the gospel. But then Paul keeps moving, and he starts talking about Jesus as our peace. And what I want the way I want to call it is, if we're ever going to have beautiful community, diverse community, we have to be anchored and clear on our hope in the gospel. That Jesus himself on the cross has accomplished not just our reconciliation with God, but with one another. In Paul's context, you probably know this. He's talking about the, the tension, the literal dividing wall that would be in the temple between the Jews and the Gentiles. He's talking about real tension in his world in Ephesus. But here's what he says, that part of what Jesus does on the cross is the veil has been torn for us to be reconciled by the cross to God. But also the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down for us to be reconciled and to be at peace with one another. Um, let me try it like this. One of my favorite stand-up specials is, uh, is 20, gosh, early, either late 2000s or early 2010s. Is Zach Galifianakis, Galifianakis at the Purple Onion in San Francisco. Uh, it's just either right before The Hangover, the first one, or right after. I don't remember. But it's just him at the piano. And if you've not seen the special, he's just at the piano the whole time. And he just tells between riffs these one-liners. And one of my very favorites is he just, he's doing this, his, his routine, and he says, you know, sometimes I do things and I think to myself, that was very Raven. And other times I do things and I think to myself, that was not, that was not very Raven. Just playing on the That's So Raven, if you, if you know that Disney show. And I love that because uh, I think what, what, when Paul uses that word peace, He's driving not in the way that you and I think about it, where it's like can be a very subjective feeling. He's talking about that old Hebrew word shalom that means a radical return 
to flourishing, a radical return to wholeness. Uh, Part of what the good news of the gospel is, is on the cross, Jesus has restored peace. He's he's, he's, uh, returning us to wholeness with God. He's returning us to wholeness with one another, to peace with one another, to peace with ourselves, where we quiet the voices of shame and guilt, and even peace with creation itself. But when we think about he's driving in, part of what the gospel does is it, it, it brings reconciliation and peace, even in the people we used to hate, uh, the people we've been taught to hate, uh, the people that our parents still struggle to love, the people that we struggle to love. Um, there's a book by, he's a, a black pastor in the PCA named Erwin Entz, and he wrote this book in 2020 called uh, uh, The Beautiful Community. And here's how he says it. Thinking about this good news uh, of our hope in the gospel, he says it like this. When I look at another human being, I am looking at royalty. But I am not looking at the full measure of what it will be like for, humani- for humanity to be fully made in God's image. The image of God is much too rich for it to be realized in a single race, ethnic group, or culture. Humanity's destiny is in community. It is in beautiful community that we image God as we live out our love for him, doing what he commissioned us to do. And then I love what he says. Listen to this. He says, if you want to picture the fully finished image of God, you have to picture all of humanity unified in diversity under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then and only then will we get the fullness of God's image. So first, if we're going to be a diverse community, we have to remember our need for the gospel. We have to keep our hope in the gospel that that really can be accomplished, not by us, but by God himself through us and in us. But then the last thing I want you to see is what I just want to call our being at home with the gospel. And this is where Paul, at the end of the passage, starts talking about, in a little bit of a weird way, what what God is doing in us, in this community. And what he's doing then is he uses is he's building a house for himself. He's putting us together in such a way in love where he's building a place where Revelation says every tongue and every tribe will bow down and worship Jesus. And it will be like this beautiful home. But the home isn't a place. It's a people. Um, we have a new home. And we are a new home. Listen, I want to say it two ways. One was, my freshman year, I was really homesick. I don't know freshmen, if, or you don't have to be a freshman to feel homesick. But something weird had happened where my mom got married right between my senior, my grad, senior year graduation and my freshman year of college. And so I would come home, but it wasn't my home. <laughs> and I longed for home, but never felt quite at home. Until, and this didn't necessarily make me feel at home, but it helped. My mom, I think the end of my freshman year, got me and a friend. She had this vision for a new patio that she wanted to be built uh, in her backyard. And she saw her son and his friend as as some free labor, uh, which was, you know, smart on her part. And what we had to do, though, was a lot of work. We had to go to our old farmhouse and load a full uh, bed, truck bed, 
of all these old bricks from a house on that farmhouse, like a little um, kitchen house that had been torn down years and years and years ago. So we had to go take, you know, move all of these bricks, old bricks that had no purpose anymore and load them into the truck bed and then brought them to this new house. And then we had to painstakingly like clear, you know, I could give you the step-by-step. I'm going to say, I'm going to save you that. But then we laid, she wanted it to be natural, so we laid each of these janky bricks as best we could, side by side. And then we took dirt, sand, covered it, and you, it was like a natural way to, to bring these bricks together. But I think about that when Paul is talking about what he's doing in his new community, his beautiful community. Is we, we are, we're, we were like those bricks, just sort of there, kind of wasting away no real purpose and then God brought us and he's building us together into this house that he himself is dwelling and will dwell in I'll close with this one of my my favorite songs is a a little band called Fleet Foxes and it's called Helplessness Blues and I'll close with the lyrics of that because they move me they sing in that song I was raised up believing I was somehow unique like a snowflake distinct among snowflakes, unique in each way you can see. And now after some thinking, I'd say I'd rather be a functioning cog in some great machinery, serving something beyond me. But I don't, I don't know what that will be. I'll get back to you someday soon, you will see. And Christian, the message for us is we do know what that will be is Jesus our peace. The veil has been torn. The wall of hostility has been torn down. And we are being built together in all of our differences, in all of our introvert, extrovert, class, race, however, wherever you <laughs> grew up in the most lost home in the world, grew up in the most Christian home in the world. We are being brought and built together to be a unified reflection of the love of God made known to us in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Our Lord, we thank you for the good news. I pray that you would anchor us in it. Would you never let us forget our need for the gospel that we might always be repenting and turning in faith to you Uh, time and time and time again throughout our days and weeks and months and years, would you never let us lose hope and lose heart that you are the one who brings from death to life. You have done it in us. You are patiently at work in us. You use us to bring the good news to friends and family and roommates and classmates. Would you make us clear on that? And would you anchor us in this beautiful home you are building of which we are a small part, but we are a beautiful part. We are a necessary part. Uh, Our brick matters. Uh, Would you make us clear on that? You alone can do it. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song with us.